Today's program has been brought to you by GreatBrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit GreatBrewers.com. Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, host of Full Service Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this show, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. It's October 6, 2014. We've got some great guests on tonight. Uh, we got Brandon Palferin. He's uh, the beer trademark lawyer. We're going to talk about beer trademarks. Basil and Kevin from Finback, a great new brewery in Queens. And Tony Forder, Ale Street News. We're going to give a, a GABF recap. So this is a special show. Uh, it's uh, GABF kind of takes up a lot of people's attention and energy. And it's, a, it's, it's you know probably the most noted consumer tasting in uh, America for beer. Tony, what, what does GABF mean? I mean, why is it so big? Why, why is everybody going to it? It's Great American Beer Festival, 33rd year this year. Basically, it's a showcase of what's going on in the U.S. And I think this year, um, it, it enlarges every year. They kind of cap the attendance to 12,000 per session. There's four sessions. And the tickets get gobbled up really quickly. But what's neat about it, I found this year, was you've got the big guys and little guys. They're all, everyone's mixed in together, brew pubs, uh, everything. And then there's also the competition, which, you know, is, gets a lot, of, uh, a lot of attention. So some of our local, like New York and Jersey brewers, won some prizes, right? Yeah, absolutely. you got uh, Gun Hill, Chris Sheehan. Uh, he's won before with his style. He seems to be the master at foreign-style stout. He won a goal for his Void of Light. The uh, Grim Artisanal, new, new guys from uh, New York, uh, got a silver for their um, double negative stout in the Imperial, Imperial Stout category. Uh, Pig Skill, MYPA, took a, took a uh, silver. Um, one of our guys from New Jersey, um, Kane, got uh, the gold for their barrel-aged strong stout. An old favorite from down in Philly, Tom Baker, you probably know him, Earthbred. He won gold for his Percuno's Hammer for the Baltic-style porter. Flying Fish won a gold and a silver um, over in Jersey. And who do you think won golden style, Belgian-style triple? Golden Monkey. That beer's been around for a while. <laughs> and there's some other perennial winners, like uh, Trogues Trojanator seems to win the Bach category almost every year. Down in Virginia, uh, the Devil's Backbone won. So it's, the, not, it's not just for... Let, let's, so there's a yeah. lot of... We're going to talk more about later, mm-hmm, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's not just for new beers. It's, it's You could can submit every year no, by style. Absolutely. Yeah. Perennial winners like uh, Alaska Smoke Porter has just the most medal-winning beer there, and it got a bronze this year, too. Wow. So that is interesting that these beers, they, they win consistently. So you got over 200 international judges judging the competition. So. No, that's great. And we're going to talk more about that in the show. We've got a long show today. Um, we're going to segue from this at some point. We're going to talk about beer trademarks, which, which Brendan came down. Uh, wh- where are you from, Brendan? Syracuse? Yep, moved up uh, to Syracuse from Brooklyn about, uh, about a year and a half ago. And then you, you, you have, you're in a law firm, but you're, like, you're targeting breweries and yeah, something I, like I that. Yeah, I work for uh, Harris Beach. We've got offices all over the state. And uh, I'm trying to develop a practice there where we're helping out brewers, craft brewers, cider makers, distilleries. Uh, everything get the word about, out there about how important trademarks are great and that's going to be a big part of the show and uh basil lee and, and kevin stafford from finback one of our new favorite breweries in new york city welcome to the show guys thanks for having us thank you so uh and what's new at finback right now i know you've had some great new beers coming out finback moby hop is on tap at jimmy's number 43 yeah um that's our imperial ipa uh which we love a lot uh we just uh came out with a pumpkin ipa uh, a coffee porter uh, that was brewed with a uh, cold brew from Stumptown. Um, we have a holiday sour we're going to put out pretty soon, and a bunch of big dark beers for this winter. And you got you're still self distributing, right? Still self distributing. Um, you know, enjoying it. it. It's definitely getting uh, more and more tiresome getting out in the van, but it's still good. You know, making it out to our accounts. Uh, definitely getting a workout still, so that's good. <laughs> Having fun, brewing lots of new beers, um, and then doing lots of events and uh, 
really just kind of being part of the, the, the New York craft beer scene and, you know, almost a year in and, and, and still uh, feels really great. That's great. Well, talking going back to GABF, the Great American Beer Fest. If you don't know the the is that an acronym, Tony? GABF. GABF. Yes. Uh, Great, Great American Great Beer American. Fest. Why did you guys not participate? It seems that like some New York breweries, like Grimm's, is, is real small. They sent in they sent in and they won a prize. Yeah, actually. So we're super excited about um, you know the, all of the kind of New York City and New York winners. Uh, congratulations to all of them. Um, you know, honestly, there was no good reason we we didn't enter. It was something that, uh, you know, when the when the submission kind of came out, we were still like getting started in terms of opening the breweries and just really didn't have our head around, um, you know, trying to to enter or attend. So we did neither. But uh, definitely next year, it's yeah, going to be on our radar. Year. I mean, if you win a prize, it means something, doesn't it? I mean, it's definitely newsworthy. Tony, well, yeah, I mean, you can make uh, make a lot of uh, whatever it costs you to enter, and you win a medalist. You can definitely pay back. People pay attention to. Uh, I mean, this list is out on the internet as soon as the results are announced on on the Saturday, and there are people all over the country just you know downloading it and checking out who who won the uh, you know the awards. Yeah, we saw. I saw Dave Dave Lopez, one of the owners of uh, Gun Hill Brewing from the Bronx last night, and they were really proud that they won. Uh, yeah, the foreign the, export stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're competing with uh, brewers from all over the country, and uh, for a new brewery like that to um, to win, obviously they've got a very seasoned uh, brewer, you know, Chris Sheehan there. Um, but uh, it's definitely something to brag, especially for the small guys. You're going up against, you know, some of these categories. I mean, you could probably guess the largest category of entries, IPA. 279 entries into IPA. So if you, if you want a medal there, you're doing pretty good. All right. Well, if, if you guys were going to submit, this time we did it all over again, Finback, what beer would you pick to say you want to showcase on a national level? Actually, I would choose um, our BQE, which is our Imperial Stout. Uh, we brewed it. Um, early this year, and it was kind of a celebration of our two roots, you know, Brooklyn, where we live, and Queens, where we now work and brew. Uh, it's got some chocolate from uh, uh, Mass Brothers in Brooklyn and some coffee from Native Roasters in Queens. Um, so an Imperial Stout, which I think is a, it's a really strong beer, and it would have been something fun to enter. All right. Let's 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 steer to the the real point of the show today. We're talking about beer trademarks, and everyone here has something to say about it. But but Brendan, as a segue, so for example, the significance of submitting your beers to GABF, you know, tell us your background and, and why you're, you're 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 preaching to breweries about registering trademarks and the the, the kind of jobs that you're trying to get. Sure. Uh, so basically, when when you're starting up a brewery. Uh, what you're thinking about most times, unless you're coming into it as a lawyer, <laughs> is uh, your licenses, federal, state. Um, you're thinking about your bright tanks, your mash tons, your payroll, uh, your EIN number, that type of thing. But oftentimes you don't think about the trademark, which uh, can be really, really important because what's uh, the most piece, important piece of property that uh, a brewery can have? Is it a particular mash ton, a bright tank? Uh, I would say it's usually the trademark because if you have to switch names or there's some problem down the line, somebody's going to walk into a bar and not be able to associate the tap with your brewery, which is all the brand recognition you've built up. All right. And then so Kevin and, and Vasil, so did, did you guys have an issue with trademarks or, or labels when you started out? We did. We had um, a little issue, um, funny enough, with, with one of the largest craft brewers in, in the country. Uh, originally, we were called Narwhal, uh, which is this cool one uh, kind of one-toothed, one-horned whale, uh, kind of like the unicorn of the sea. Um, and, and we were using that name for about two years, starting in 2011. So we kind of, uh, our business name, and all, officially we're actually still called Narwhal. Um, but we, you know, we were building our brand. Um, we were doing a lot of homebrew competitions, and then in two years later, Sierra Nevada, we we found out was releasing their Imperial Stout, which actually won won uh, third place in uh, GABF this year. Um, and so, you know, we kind of reached out to them and started the discussion, basically saying that. You know, we'd been using that name and that we were building our brand and, and imminently opening a brewery. And, and discussions went really well uh, um, at first, and they were actually really, really nice, really cordial, really supportive. Um, and, and that was great. And then, you know, I this is a pure hypothesis, my personal opinion only, but 
They actually, um, and this is kind of the perfect time for this, they won silver at GABF that year, and, uh, and then the tone of the discussion pretty much changed after that. Is this common, Brendan? I mean, have you seen uh, a lot of cases like this? Yeah, it's becoming more and more common uh, almost day by day. Uh, I think we're at somewhere between 3,000, 4,000 breweries, breweries and planning right now, and each one of them is making five, ten beers, you know, there's so you're saying they even trademark the name of the beer, so they're trademarking oh, the yeah, brewery absolutely. name, uh, and then like the unique. Why do they have? To, why does everyone have to have like a name for their IPA? Why can't they just say? Well, how many hot bums are there out there? <laughs> <laughs> but why? Why can't you just say you know such and such brewery IPA? Why does everyone have to have a unique name for their beer? There are a couple breweries that do that. Uh, you know, I think Smutty Nose. Some of their beers are just. I think that's Smutty Nose IPA. I don't know the finest kind and the uh, Star A, but I think there are a lot of breweries that do that. Maybe to avoid these issues. Um, I think the reason that they don't is that it's hard to get people to remember your beer. I looked at the, uh, the Beer Advocate Top Hundred or Top Two Fifty beers the other, uh, probably about a week ago, and I could go all the way down the list, and I saw one beer that was just named after what it was. I think it was. Uh, Sean Hill's Galaxy Double IPA. Every other beer had a name. Like, would you remember Alchemist IPA as much as Alchemist Hetty Topper? <laughs> well, I remember Hetty Topper, and I can't remember who made it. But, <laughs> exactly. Right? And what about you guys? You guys have so many names, too. I've got the Moby Hop. What did you just, what did you just pour for us, Kevin? This is great. That's really good. Yeah, this is the uh, uh, Le Porter Caldi. This is the uh, coffee porter we just mm. made. It's so, great. Well, yeah, it's a six point eight percent. You know, cold brew coffee was added uh, after fermentation. Um, yeah, simple recipe. Are you, you going to trademark the name of the beer? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to say, after uh, we had our little issue with Sierra Nevada, uh, we did go trademark crazy for a while, <laughs> and we're trademarking every idea we had. You know, for a Kelso Kelly Taylor here in New York, he had a slogan: "It's because beer helps." And he came in one day and he was really proud that he got that trademark. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess we're all onto something, um, Tony. You know your experience. You know you've been around the world. You've been Mondial mm-hmm. with Hale Street News. You I know, mean, is there, this there, is a, that's there is a famous trademark that Sam Adams made years ago at the JABF when they when they didn't have the uh, full tilt professional judging competition. It was a consumer poll, and he won it for a couple of years, and so he trademarked best beer in America. <laughs> and it created a lot of uh, rancor amongst the other brewers, and uh, he eventually agreed to give it up. But, but and how does that work, Brent? I mean, if he actually trademarked that phrase, would that stand, or isn't that like a generic phrase? Uh, yeah, exactly, and good good use of generic there. <laughs> you, you, you can't trademark, uh, at least initially, uh, things that are either descriptive uh, or generic. So you couldn't trademark uh, IPA. You couldn't trademark cold beer or hoppy beer, because it's just describing what the product is. Um there is an exception. Like, could, I, could I trademark corner restaurant? No. Probably not, uh, especially if you're on a corner, <laughs> because it can't describe what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, one thing you can do is uh, if you have the mark for long enough, so for example, Boston Beer Company, which everyone knows is Sam Adams' uh, over company, that's just descriptive of a beer company in Boston. But if you can show that the mark has what's called acquired distinctiveness, um, which you can get by five years of substantially continuous use, then you can trademark it oftentimes. Wow. So like Beer Sessions Radio, for example. It's trademark, right? It's trademark. <laughs> <laughs> TM. What if I write TM next to things? That's what I do. That's what you want to do uh, if you don't have a trademark yet. If you have a trademark, a federal trademark, you put the little circle R. But it's very important not to use that unless you have the actual federal trademark. Well, that was transcendental meditation. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of what this is like. All right, so t- tell me more. Tell me about this beer, because uh, this is an awesome coffee porter. It's a good breakfast beer, right? You just want to wake up in the morning. If you want, if you if you're like me and you drink beer in the morning, you can uh, you can drink this beer because it's got coffee in it as well. <laughs> so, how many beers are you making right now? I mean, you, you you've made at least ten, haven't you? Oh, we've brewed at least, uh, I mean, since we opened in January, we probably brewed maybe 20, 25 different beers. Um, you know, we our whole philosophy is that we've got um, maybe two or three beers that we try to keep on all the time, although sometimes we, we run out of things and, and, and we don't get our production scheduled just right, but we try to keep things going, um, you know, consistently for three of our beers and everything else we kind of rotate around. 
Um, and really just like kind of from our homebrew backgrounds, we like to experiment a lot and like to, to make different recipes. And so the idea is to just keep brewing new, th- new things. Great. And so the, with Narwhal and then Finback, why did you guys go with the, the whale identity? Yeah, I, I think it was just an easy transition uh, with the marketing we already had in place. We didn't really have to change much. We could reuse a lot of the same material on the website, Facebook, and everything. It's so. almost lucky. I think Finback's better name than Narwhal. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think it rolls off the tongue a little easier. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's a better. I agree. But yeah, I'm still bitter. <laughs> <laughs> but why, why did you come up with Narwhal in the first place? So Narwhal, uh, you know, we, you know, I'm from Rhode Island originally. Kevin's from Massachusetts, so we knew we wanted to do something kind of nautical, kind of coastal, uh, ocean related. Um, and then, you know, Kevin's also just like uh, an animal uh, fanatic, and so he kind of I would say freak, freak. That's right, <laughs> it's a technical um, term. <laughs> and the uh, and the narwhal is one of the most kind of uh, mysterious and and kind of uh, magical creatures of the ocean. And Wait, so we where do kinda, you find one? And you know, in like Greenland and the kind of North Atlantic kind of uh, ocean. I mean, they're they they they're all around. Um, they're pretty cool. Is and it kind of like Bigfoot? Kind of like yeah. it's there and then it's gone. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the Loch Ness monster for the whale world. <laughs> Don't um, call it Big Bigfoot, by the way. <laughs> what are you drinking, Basil? Because you, you you brought uh, uh, your coffee porter, but you're drinking something out of the can. <laughs> We're just drinking. You're not some drinking your own up. beer. Ah, well, we've got well, Anderson Valley. One, two, let's try that. That looks pretty good too. So, so Brandon, what? So this label it says Anderson Valley, the Kimmy, the Yank, and the Holy Goza Ale, Highway Boonville One Twenty Eight Session Series. Now, is that stuff all trademarked? Or yeah, just made up all these names. Uh, well, I don't see a circle R in there. I'd be surprised. I'm sure Anderson Valley Brewing Company is trademarked. Uh, the other two, they. If they haven't trademarked it, they should. <laughs> and if they have trademarked, they should put the circle R in there. They, uh, but at, at what point does it end? I mean, it's like this creativity of labels and stuff. I mean, it's like, I mean, ha- with the labels, uh, I often recommend uh, doing copyright, which is different than trademark. Copyright is uh, sort of creative works of authorship that are put into some tangible form, like a beer bottle. So the uh, a book a play, a movie, those types of things are copyrighted. And for brewers, you can trademark the entire label if you wanted to, um, but trademarks, the core of it goes to uh, the source identifying the, the brand, the, you know, Lagunitas, uh, the name of the particular beer, not as much the the entire label. Although you can have logos, like the logo for... Sam Adams, I'm sure the guy, you know, the the old school haircut and the <laughs> the uh, revolutionary wardrobe is, I'm sure that's trademarked as well. I mean, I think you know, trademark, you know, for us, we definitely got a crash course in it. You know, probably up to I guess it would have been at least four months before we opened, and then and then definitely more sensitive about it after we opened. You know, I think it's kind of like a love hate kind of thing you know originally you know we when we looked for our name you know we searched everything we looked at you know all the kind of beer blogs google untapped things like that and we made sure that that name didn't exist which is really what you're supposed to do before you before you file for a trademark and uh and then after we saw that no one was using it we're like okay let's start using it and then and then didn't have the follow-through to actually file for a trademark and then after, you know, after we learned our lesson, we definitely, as Kevin said, went kind of trademark crazy. And it's kind of one of those things where, on the one hand, it's really simple for all intents and purposes to get a trademark, um, you know, in as a, as a kind of administrative thing. I mean, you got to do the research and everything, but it's not it's not really difficult uh, in principle. But then if you're making 20 beers, it does get really difficult to trademark everything. And especially if you make a beer that you may only sell, you know, we, we're a small brewery. We may sell 40 barrels of it and never brew it again. And it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, should you or shouldn't you? Because maybe two years later, you, you do want to brew it again and it becomes really popular. And, it, and if you didn't trademark it, you might be kicking yourself in, in, in the behind. But, uh, but otherwise, you know, it's one of those things where you just kind of, you know... You, 
you got to kind of find the right balance, I think. You are forced to protect it, though, if you, if you have a trademark. I thought this whole trademark thing was all just to give lawyers a bunch of money. <laughs> I think it is, but let's just slow down. We're, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. It's good. We're getting somewhere. This is good. So, you like good beer? Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit greatbrewers.com today. Hi, I'm Mike Mills with 17th Street Barbecue in Murfreesboro, Illinois. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. That was so cool. Mike Mills, the barbecue guy, was promoting Heritage Radio Network. And, uh, you know, we were here on Friday in the back of Roberta's. Carlo Petrini, the founder of Slow Food, was here. It was a great event. Alice Waters, Carlo Petrini. Those are the roots of Heritage Radio Network. Check it out. Go to heritageradionetwork.org. Become a member. You're supporting uh, something that's 25 years now. Slow food is 25 years. So we're here talking about trademarks and beers and uh, GABF and also homebrewing. So Brandon Palfrey Men. That's it. That's it. Is uh, he's the the trying to be the beer lawyer for trademarks, but he's really a homebrewer too. And we've met each other at many beer events and. Uh, you, you, we've met also at Cooperstown. At Belgium yep. comes to Cooperstown. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us more about you as a home brewer because it's informing you as a lawyer. Sure. Uh, got into home brewing uh, when I was in law school, Brooklyn Law, um, and I started at the the Brooklyn Fleet uh, at One Hanson Place with a, a kit from Brooklyn Brew Shop. Uh, you may have had those guys on the show before. Sure, they're great. Yeah. Um, one gallon kit. I think it was a pale ale, and at my little tiny apartment in in a Windsor Terrace, and I just fell in love. And I've been brewing pretty much once a month since then. Um, entered a lot of competitions last year because uh, I just sort of which, got into which the competition. Uh, uh, the Knickerbocker uh, Battle of the Brews up in Saratoga, the New York State Fair, uh, which is put on by my home uh, homebrew club, the so Salt City. The New York City State Fair club. has a homebrew competition. Yep, it's wow. put on by uh, the Salt City Homebrew Club, which is Syracuse's homebrew club, uh, of which I'm a member now. Um, and just pretty much ones throughout New York and wherever, as far as I can get a FedEx within one or two days. <laughs> so, so there's a cool beer scene in Syracuse. Yeah, uh, definitely a burgeoning scene. There's there's two uh, really established breweries, Empire. Uh, I'm sure you've had some Empire guys on the show. And then Middle Ages uh, is the other old one. But there's all sorts of new ones popping up. There's, uh, there's Eastwood Brewing Company. Um, opening soon, there's uh, one called Red Hawk, another one called Westcott, another one called Local 315, which is the area code up there. So it's, it's, it's taken off, yeah. Wow. Tony, with Ale Street News, have, have you heard about the new breweries upstate? There's so many Yeah, I actually did a tour up there. Uh, there's a, a group called um, Brew Central New York. They have a website, and they're supporting six counties to the east of the Finger Lakes, which is known for wine. They're promoting breweries and cideries and distilleries, uh, little micro stuff going on in that area. Mm-hmm. Syracuse and Empire is building a farm brewery in yep. um, Casanova, I believe. Uh, a big project. So this it all goes along with a farm brewery license, too, which is really taking off. Up in yeah, that's huge. There's, there's a ton of farm breweries that are taking mm-hmm. advantage of that new, uh, new licensing option. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that's great. Well, yeah. well, and going back to homebrewers, so Kevin and, and, and Basil, you guys started as homebrewers. And tell us about your journey, because I know you, you, you were part of a very cool scene and... Uh, it started off with a Mr. Beer kit uh, that I got for Christmas, and you know, I was brewing once a week. How old were you? Um, God, it was ten years ago. Uh, I don't know, twenty-four maybe. <laughs> but yeah, I started brewing, you know, once a week. That turned into two weeks. Upgraded my system. Upgraded my system again. You know, I started doing five-gallon batches, all-grain batches, and 
yeah, even to this day, my, my apartment's full of beer, just homebrew everywhere, <laughs> carboys everywhere. It's, it's, it, it got out of control really, really quickly. Are you still homebrewing, even though that you're a professional brewer? Uh, no, uh, not anymore. I still have some sours laying around in, uh, in buckets, but no, I haven't homebrewed in a while. And what, what groups and clubs were you part of? As you were learning, uh, the New York City Homebrewers Guild and the Knights of Brooklyn. Uh, the Knights of Brooklyn was the uh, first group that we joined. Um, it's a small group that meets at Union Hall in Brooklyn once a month. Um, it's pretty chill. Yeah, it's amazing how many great groups there are in the city, um, and I think it's just gotten like more and more popular, and, and there's just a more and more extensive network of uh, really people who are doing what I think is, you know, everyone's making better beer, you know, technically, uh, creatively, and just having that kind of network of people to learn from, ask questions of, and, and really get feedback from is, uh, is really great. That's great. Yeah, I, I don't know if you knew this, Jimmy, but uh, Ale Street News was also born out of home brewing. I used to brew with my brother-in-law partner, uh, Jack Babin, and uh, through that we started a club, and our partners opened a homebrew store, and we started the Ale Street News, the North Jersey Warthogs. Wow. And where was the first place you sold the, the newspaper? In the homebrew shop? Uh, we, you know, we never actually, of course, sold it, but uh, we got it. This is a long story, and you probably heard it. We got some help with uh, Brooklyn Brewery that helped distribute it for us. So they were one of our first advertisers. We sold advertising. But the homebrew club used to meet at the front porch in Hawthorne, New Jersey. That's great. Uh, um, Basil, what, what is the second beer that you poured for us? Um, that beer is our Lean Back IPA. It's um, you know kind of our easy drinking IPA. It's five and a half percent, lots of Amarillo, nice and citrusy, uh, pretty smooth, but I think some you know good hot bitterness as well. That's great, Brandon. What, what do you think of the Finback beers? And I, I respect your taste in beers. So. <laughs> this is the uh, first chance <clears throat> I've had to try them so far, and I had the coffee. I didn't have the the uh, Amarillo one yet. What did you think but of the coffee pour? Coffee on one was great, and I was I was going to ask how you added the coffee, but cold brewed post fermentation, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's how I did my uh, my last. Uh, I did sort of a breakfast stout clone. I did the same exact way. So you really you you add cold brew after the fermentation or during? Yeah, what so time? basically after primary fermentation, we drop the yeast and then we add the beer at that point. And do you add it to taste, or we do a specific amount in mind? Um, we a little bit of both. We add it to taste. Like a lot of times, we'll try, and it's not it's not always kind of exact, but we'll try to pull samples off um, from the tank, and then and then kind of um, you know just try to you know at, at a much smaller scale, like on a pint, to put X amount of coffee in and kind of compare um, you know the, the the results, and then we'll kind of say you know if that if we multiply that up into twenty barrels or something, this is how much coffee there is. Um, you know, and sometimes we adjust it a little bit, but, but usually it you know it works out pretty well. And, what, and jumping ahead to the this, this session IPA, what's the name of it again? <laughs> There's too many names. It's Lean Back IPA. Lean Back. Do you have a it's trademark the, on that? We we uh, yeah. No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> yeah. It's the antithesis of uh, of uh, of Lean In. You know. <laughs> I, I do have to say that I, I think that there's too many too many names for beers. I I I, I like knowing the brewery, but at some point. I really can't keep track of everyone's little name. You know, some like Ballast Point Sculpt and IPA. You know, there's some that you see as standard bearers. But, I mean, I don't know. Do you agree, Tony? Do you think there's too oh, many yeah. names for Oh, yeah, and I think it's beers? getting to the point now where you're getting pretty crazy names for breweries as well. In fact, somebody usually puts out a list post-JBF the, the most interesting brewery names, you know. Or, or was it the most interesting beers, perhaps? But, um, yeah, I mean, there's... We, we don't want to put limits on creativity, but I know what you mean. <laughs> but th- th- there must be some strange names of breweries that, that pop in mind because you're like on the been on the forefront for how many years now? Is yeah, I mean, I kind of like Funky Buddha. That's that's kind of cool down in Florida. Um, as far as names, the uh, um, the legend of the Liquid Mind Mind is uh, a stout from uh, the brewery out in Colorado, um, and. Uh, you know. And Brendan, does some come some come come to mind for you? Yeah, if you ever have a chance, go take a look at the tap list at Tired Hands in uh, Philadelphia, or just outside of Philadelphia. Uh, they have uh, beer names that look like small novels, <laughs> and they're the best beers I've ever had. But it's like the light that shoots out of the center of your head and that type of thing. I probably didn't get it right, but are they trademarked? 
I don't know. Uh, <laughs> See, if they're long enough, you don't actually have to trademark them, right? If, if then it's, it's a book, and you can long, just copyright yeah, exactly. it. Yeah. So there's not a Verizon beer, you know? <laughs> this, this is the part I, lo- I love about beer, but at some point, the business really is an important part of it, you know? And uh, give us a quick sum- sum- summary of what you do, Brendan, with beer and, wh- and why you want to work with breweries. Sure. Uh Basically, for breweries, uh, it's a little bit of copyright, you know, to the extent we're talking about labels, but most of the time it's filing for trademarks and then helping brewers that have received cease and desist letters or, you know, if they want to send a cease and desist letter, which is more rare because uh, the craft beer world is such, there's such camaraderie that it's almost uh, expected that if there's a problem with one brewer, like I think happened with you guys, they'll call each other, like one brewer calling another brewer. Um, and that's 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 definitely what I recommend. I do recommend if, if you if you're not sure about what your rights are, maybe talk to a lawyer. But I wouldn't have the lawyers just jump right in and start contacting other brewers right away. But you do want to have some some basis for your opinion before you start it, talking. Is it typically a lot of new breweries? They they, they have a, a, a name or a label, and then they, they yeah. get a cease and desist order from a larger brewery. Yeah, because the larger breweries uh, have the resources to you know get as many trademarks as they want. Oftentimes, so there's going to be more uh, a higher likelihood that the larger brewery is going to be contacting a smaller brewery because they just don't have the resources to trademark everything. So it's like somebody buying up web web addresses or something. Sure, that happens all the time, and that's that's another sort of intellectual property you know thing you can get into with. Uh, cyber squatters who you know register names that are either the same as your brewery or a slight misspelling of your brewery. There was a case with um, where, um, see, Russian River out of California, and Avery had the same name for beer instead of suing each other. Uh, yeah, they. But that was a they, salvation, right? I, I guess yeah. it was a salvation, right? And so instead of suing each other, they just decided to make the same beer. And, uh, yeah, they needed a collaboration, not litigation ale. That's the one, yeah. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Well, that's the good spirit that we all like, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, we're going to take another short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. You are listening to Iggy Dean here on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned for more from Beer Sessions Radio. Chef at Del Posto in Manhattan, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. What a cool guy. Brooks Headley, the pastry chef at Del Posto. He's, he's a big fan of Heritage Radio Network, too. Check it out, heritageradionetwork.org. All right, so we've got an interesting show today. Uh, Justin Kennedy, our co-producer, and Tony Ford from Mail Street News just came back from GABF, the Great American Beer Fest. We got Brendan Palfreyman, who's a beer trademark lawyer, and Basil and Kevin from Finback. So, but now we're going to just decompress and, and and Justin, tell us about the GABF. Well, the GABF is uh, it stands for the Great American Beer Festival, and this is the thirty third year they've held it out in Denver, and it's put on by the Brewers Association. And I think this year there were forty nine thousand attendees, uh, something like. 700 breweries, 2,700 beers total. Just ridiculous numbers. Uh, 3,300, I believe. 3,300, right? okay. And then maybe twice that number actually entered into competition. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, it was quite an experience. A long few days, so I'm sure Tony can uh, so, yeah, attest well, to Yeah, uh, well, 90 categories of beer. And you guys, you Finbad guys probably like this. The beer we're tasting now that Justin just brought in, the... Um, 
Uh, the, the Grim du- double, the negative. double negative. That was the one that uh, built out, uh, beat out Norwell for silver. Norwell got Sierra Nevada got the bronze. So. <laughs> yeah, so we're drinking the Grim double negative, which is an imperial stout, and it won silver um, at, at, in the awards, um, beating out maybe a hundred other imperial stouts, which was really impressive. I think um, I like Grim stuff a lot, but I never really considered them, you know, on that level. But I was pleasantly surprised to to see them win. It's interesting with the style categories. There's 90 different style categories, and they kind of reflect the popular beers going on. Um, here's some of the biggest, you know, the most entries in categories. The wooden barrel-aged strong stout, 190. A lot of barrel-aged uh, had over 100. Uh, just strong strong beer in barrels with 105. Urban Spice was kind of um, 150 entries. I guess it's a big category. Urban Spice. Herb. Herb. Urban no, spice. Not urban spiced. <laughs> urban spice. <laughs> As opposed to country. We're, we're urban spice. Yeah. Right, yes. And then the uh, Saison style, also over 100, 115. But then when you get into the pale ales, American style pale ale, 145. Amber red, 140. Imperial IPA, 135. And then, of course, American style IPA, more than double any other category, 279. So. So who won in the American style IPA categories? Since it's the most popular, I think Breakside won gold. I don't know who else won. Uh, uh, some breweries I'm not that familiar with, but um, actually, where is it? It's right here somewhere. Um, well, Tommy's looking for that. I know our friend uh, Chief O'Neill won uh, silver for American style pale ale for the NYPA, which was yeah, a huge victory. You're right. It was Breakside uh, IPA from Milwaukee. Milwaukee. I think Ar- Breakside's from Oregon. Oregon. Milwaukee, Oregon? <laughs> could, you, could you type up? <laughs> Half Acre got silver with right, Hioka from Chicago. I have, yep. I do know them. And then uh, Columbus Brewing from Ohio got the... Uh, yeah, well, it just shows you true how bronze. many new breweries there are, right? They're, oh, yeah. I mean, totally. I think almost half of the entries this year, maybe not half, maybe a quarter, were actually uh, first-time entrants, the, the breweries themselves, not just the yeah. beers. So, yeah. you know, the, uh, so while, while Finback's shooting themselves for not submitting this year, because <laughs> they probably would have won for the... Would you, would you have submitted your coffee porter? I mean, if you could have. Yeah, maybe. We, maybe. I think, it's a, I think it's a strong beer. I mean, actually, I feel uh, I'm really excited. You know, we know Joe and Lauren really well, and I'm really excited they, they won. I think it goes to show that, you know, if you have passion and, and make good beer, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're a tiny brewery, you know, that, that, you know, is only a couple years old and, you know, you beat out people or companies that have been around for a lot longer and they make a lot more beer. I mean that's what I, I would assume it's, it's it's only the new breweries, but I I didn't realize the system. Justin, what's your insight onto the the judging process? I don't have that much. I know uh, next week we have John Hall on the show, and he was a judge this year for the first time, and he wrote a really awesome article for um, his magazine's website about the whole judging process. So I highly re- recommend people check that all, out. All, all about, about beer dot yeah. uh, com, I think, and you can check out John's uh, insightful article. Um, I don't know much about judging myself. I've never had much interest in, you know, going into the the judging guidelines and all that. Maybe Brendan has a little bit more um, interest and knowledge about that. But to me, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit, I tend to like beers that I like because of multiple reasons. You know, the label, the people behind it, um, all these other things. This is blind tasting and it's really um, a little bit, you know... Single-minded, I would say. Yes, I'm sure it's tedious, too. It is. It's very intensive. Um, You have to judge several rounds over three days, I think, you need need for another. But they have over 200 judges. And then basically, you know, the beer goes from one round through to another round. And then there is a lot of discussion, if you know, about tie-breaking and that kind of stuff. There's a couple of categories where they didn't award a gold or maybe not a silver because they didn't think anything was, you know, deserving of it. But right, it, I noticed that there were a few that were missing certain medals, and I had no idea. I thought it was just a mistake on the. No, that happened. That does happen every year. But uh, you get beers like um, probably one of the best known beers, Russian River, Pliny the Elder, for, in the Imperial IPA category, uh, got a bronze, but it was you know beaten by a couple other beers. Right, which was you know not a total surprise, but people tend to you know kind of go crazy for that. It would be interesting to see. You know, if maybe Hetty Topper or some of the other Vermont breweries that we tend to think highly of had entered to see where they would have placed or if they would have placed. But, sure. Um, so, Brandon, you've been a lot of homebrew competitions. What's the difference between the way they judge in homebrew competitions versus the GABF? You can guess. 
Uh, I, I would imagine it's pretty similar. I know homebrew competitions are all done on the, the BJCP guidelines, the Beer yeah. Judge Certification Program, I think. As, uh, as is the GP. Okay, yeah. So it's, it's basically, I can tell you, the form uh, along the left side, it has sort of uh, check boxes for typical off flavors, diacetyl butter, acetaldehyde, that type of thing. And then they do, what is it, taste, mouthfeel, aroma, appearance. I think that most, might be the, the four or five things that they judge it on. Yeah, we, we sat through an IPA tasting in the spring, and uh, I was exposed to the BJCP you know, style judging for the first time. And To me, it, it was tough. I, I could not be a judge of beer. I mean, it, it took the, the joy out of it for me, I'll tell you. <laughs> So anyone that does it, cheers die. to them. Cheers to the guys that do cheers. sit in John yeah. Hall because ooh, I couldn't do it. And I would just pick the coffee porter from Finback, you know. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why don't you – is there a category for like a coffee porter, Tony? Is that yeah, like – Yeah, actually, as I just looked it up, it's, uh, it is um, a very popular category, 115 entries this year. But I, I expect that will be subdivided soon to coffee stout, coffee this, you know. like and, uh, Right. There's some really strange categories that you'll see. I think there's one called like fruit beer, and the winner was – a raspberry stout from uh, Hardywood Park in Richmond, Virginia. Uh-huh. And then the other beers in there were nothing like that. I think there was like... The Hardywood one, really? Hardywood, yeah, no, they won gold. Guys, yeah. Um, yeah, they're great. Uh, and But the other entrants in that category, I don't even know how they judged against you know, know. one another. They weren't the same styles uh, or the same you fruits. Know, uh, a beer that won the session category, you'll probably never guess it, oatmeal stout. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's right, but wow, yeah. it gets. You think they have more and more categories, so that more and more people. Oh, they do add awards. every year, yeah. So now it's up to ninety categories. Yeah, and I think they'll just the, continue. The, to the opposite, opposite extreme is a, a, a festival where I've judged at the Mondial de la Beer, where there are no categories. You just judge the beer once in front of you. They even serve it in an opaque glass, so you don't see the color. So it's just totally opposite end of the spectrum. You know, t- talking about styles and things, you know, I. I there's like New World American, but some people like our friend Matthias Niedhardt at Be United, um, you know, we had talked about doing a, a judging of German beers, and, and his first thought was that no one really knows the traditional styles, so he felt that hardly anyone was, was, was qualified to judge. I mean, is, is, is that an issue with these judges? I mean, who are these judges? They are international judges. They made a point of uh, bringing in uh, judges, maybe not so much for the GABF, but they also run the World Beer Cup, and they, they want to get the legitimacy, legitimacy of having judges from other countries. So I think the judges were from, like, 12, 15 different countries. Uh, yeah, and I think it just, you know, the name Great American Beer Festival doesn't mean that it's just Americans judging. Um, I know John uh, John Hall had applied maybe four years ago to be a judge and you know they had accepted his application and in order to even get an application you have to be nominated by an existing judge or maybe a group of existing judges and John had to wait four years for a spot to open so this was the first year he was actually uh, eligible to to it be a judge. It sounds like so. FIFA World Cup uh, referees, <laughs> and the guy doesn't speak English and he's talking to someone in Portuguese right? I mean well, cheers to that. that. That's a great thing. And so, so, Justin, how about the highlights of Denver? You know, I know you go to these festivals, but then you really actually hang out in yeah, pubs I, and breweries. I with mean, the real people. The festival itself, I can only handle about maybe half an hour before I'm just ready to leave. The hall gets really crowded, and it really smells bad, and it's it's like a mix of hot dogs and farts and beer, and it's just disgusting. Was this your first year, Justin? Uh, this is only my second year, yeah. but. Um, yeah, I, I have a very low tolerance for that. But that being said, there's a lot of other really cool events going on. And one of the coolest ones I went to was a sour beer event that Crooked Stave put on called What the Funk. And it was um, maybe, I don't know, 100 different breweries, including, I brought some bottles here, Wicked Weed. And well, let's pop, let's pop Crook, the Wicked uh, Weed. Uh, Crooked Stave, of course. And it was all sours. And by the end of the four hours, my throat was just completely raw and... I was uh, in need of some water or something else, but it was a really cool event. And uh, so a lot, a lot of the best things happened. Yeah, I think a lot they, of the oh yeah, there's a lot of yeah, side yeah, events. So many cool things. What, what yeah. are what is like a favorite watering what, hole in Denver uh, that you? Well, the Falling to? Rock is still the classic place uh, run by Chris Black, and um, the lineup there didn't seem to be as big. Sometimes it's like you just have to wait, no matter who you are. But maybe that's because I went while sessions were on at the festival. I went to a really cool event at Epic Brewing where they put on um, 50 cask ales that they all, made them all themselves at their brewery. And that's right next to downtown Denver. Um, 
there's just uh, a lot of new places. Uh, obviously, the uh, the Wincoop is still going strong. You've got Rock Bottom on 16th mm-hmm. is a main place. But you can walk. There's a walkway across the river from uh, from Wincoop now where there's great drinking areas. Yeah, I mean, you walk down there. the street yeah. and you just run into brewery after brewery. I went to uh, a heavy metal-themed brewery called True, T-R-V-E, um, that was really cool and, you know, really small and intimate and had a certain, you know, heavy metal uh, satanic theme to it but uh that was a lot of fun and then what were the beers like uh the beers were pretty good i mean they they had some you know ipas and uh dark sours and other you know kind of trendy styles but yeah they were pretty good uh it was more about the style i think than the beers themselves um but and i also went to denver beer company for uh some kind of collaboration festival that they did and um, a few others. I don't remember. There were so many around that I, know. I couldn't even keep track. For Basil and Kevin, so you guys as as, as new brewers, I mean, wh- what does it mean to you to go to GBF? Would you ever go? Is it expensive? Uh, I think, you know, I think next year if we can if we can do it, we'd definitely like to go. I actually have never been to GBF. Um, uh, I've, uh, you know, heard all the stories about it. It sounds like it would be fun. I think, uh, you know, just being with a ton of people and having a lot of beer. I don't know. I think Beer, farts, and hot dogs sounds pretty pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> Trademark that. <laughs> what's what's the number one merch? I'm sure that breweries have merchandise. They have pins, t-shirts, yeah, tattoos. T- what was the number one thing that people get? T-shirts up? by far were the number one. Not free thing, but you know, you saw lots of t-shirts. I think I saw more um, brewery t-shirts than you know just normal t-shirts. People, you know. Well, either wearing local pride stuff. Yeah, or, I mean, they have a booth at the festival, but you have to. You know, it's run by the organizers, so they take their cut. But that's where you put your stuff to sell. You can't, unless you have your own merchandise booth, you can't sell So there's it. somebody that actually sells all the T-shirts. Yeah, basically. Wow. But we've been going for 21 years, and we take a group there. We missed last year. We take a group out. And, um, you know, everyone's, we have these pin guys that they have waistcoats, like, just full of bottle cap pins. They always get that picture taken in the festival. People have different types of memorabilia, and there's crazy headgear going on. The costumes this year, yeah. where I saw people dressed up as cats for no apparent reason. Uh, there were, you know, people in. Uh, Are they trademarked? I don't know about that. <laughs> um, uh, Superman costumes. You know, it was almost like Comic Con meets uh, meets a beer festival, and it was a little bit more than I could handle. But you know, people were definitely having a lot of fun. They so. do dress up for it. They uh, they do weddings there now. Like that's the, right. That's there was a chapel. A I group, saw they have a group wedding. That yeah. JBF wedding. People save yeah. up their wedding date for the JBF. I mean, it's become a tradition. Get married. Justin, to the I'm going to Denver next month. From your experience, what's the one place I should visit in Denver for a good beer? The one place you should go is a place called Euclid Hall. I had uh, dinner there with our friend Josh Bernstein on Thursday night before we went to the festival, and it was just a beautiful space. The food was awesome, and the draft list is impeccable. So I would say Euclid Hall in Denver, Colorado. Tony, for you? At Falling Rock, just for the history. All right. And then, Brandon, our, our beer trademark lawyer, you just popped a beer. What is it? Uh, this is one I picked up. I did a, a little pilgrimage to Vermont, Burlington, the IPA Highway, and this is a, a spruce tip IPA that was a collaboration between uh, Sean Lawson and uh, the Vermont Pub and Brewery. That's uh, great. Let's, let's all drink that. And then, Brandon, thanks so much for suggesting the show, the, the beer trademark show. Are there? Can you mention a couple of breweries or, or beer-related things that you've represented? Uh, yeah. If you can, it's okay. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't like to talk about current clients if I can, but uh, I mean, one of my clients, which I'm, I'm very, very proud of, and I brought a growler stuff today, is a, a little nano brewery in Syracuse uh, called Eastwood Brewing Company, run by my friend Pete Kirkgasser from the uh, Salt City Homebrew Club, uh, and they're just they're just doing great stuff there on a really really small small and scale. What did you do? You, you gave him help him trademark the yeah, name just gave him general advice about uh, things like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're a great guy, man. I appreciate you listening to the show and. <laughs> Tweeting and everything, and thanks so much. And, and Tony, again, Ale Street News? Yeah, we got the new issue out, the October-November it- edition, and uh, been very busy lately, the GAPF and things, so we'll be um, uh, starting to plan our Belgian trip, actually. That goes off in the spring. Um, but you told me, so when, when did you first publish Ale Street News? Nin- uh, 1992. And so. then, originally, how did you publish it then? Like, uh, oh, you're, talk- you're talking about, yeah, hand-pasted, hand, hand photos. Back in the old days, we bought a waxing machine. You know, you got to wax the, the sheets. And then after that, we, we finally got a 
full-size printer so we could do the photographs and the copy. We still had to paste the ads down. And then after a number of years, we started working with a team up in Montreal. They run the Mondial de la Beer Festival, actually, and they took us digital, and they do all the, the page setup for us, which sooner or later you got to do. But back well, in the you early said, days... Going back, so you, you have a lot of great traditions, including uh, Jim Cook from Sam Adams... So yeah, what, what happened a, at GABF? You said there was well, a I'm on the line judging, said, I'm on the judging panel for the Long Shot Homebrew Competition, and they give out the awards there in, uh, in Denver. They do a brunch every year. I think Justin was there. This I year. was there, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but you told me that there's a story you have to tell me. There's a, there's a line that well, Jim yeah, Cook I asked mean, you to I was finish. standing there, and, and Jim Cook, uh, he's, he's telling the history. Remember when uh, American Beer was like, um, you know, a honeymoon is in a canoe? And he's like, Tony, you know the answer. I mean, the place is full. What's the I'm like, well, as I said, they're both um, effing close to water. That was the old days. But it's great to have you on as historical perspective. And we love Ale Street News, dude. And, and, and Basil and Kevin, uh, thanks for bringing that coffee porter. I love it, man. Thank you. Where can we get it? Pleasure. Um, We actually just released it, so you'll find it at you know uh, cool New York City bars soon, um, probably this coming week. Um, Let's see. We're actually just a couple of uh, little things we're doing. Um, There's going to be an awesome kind of New York City local tap takeover at the Pony Bar Upper East Side uh, tomorrow night. It's going to be I I don't know pretty much all of the New York City breweries. I think uh, you know us, other half. I think Grimm's going to be there. Third Rail, Gun Hill, Flagship. I think you know a bunch of people. So if you want to go out and just try a lot of New York City beer, definitely go there. And then we're doing a pig roast on on uh, this Sunday um, at the brewery. October so, 12th. Yeah. October 12th. Uh, check up. Uh, check out our Facebook page. Sure, um, Glen- Glendale, Queens. Yeah. What's the nearest subway? It's the M train to Myrtle. And then, you, uh, if I was coming to New York City and I wanted to visit all, all the breweries, I would definitely go to Finback. You have a great space, and we're looking forward to trying all your great beers. And Justin, the re, re, final words on GABF and Denver? Uh, a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, I met a lot of great people from all over the country, and it's a great uh, networking and just uh, hanging out uh, town and time to be in Denver. It's really awesome. All right, and we're just going to give one last push. On uh, this Saturday, October 11th, if you're in New York City, uh, we're producing the October Feast Seaport. We've got a lot of great uh, small New York City breweries, including Radiant Pig, Secret Engine, uh, Other Half, and uh, some Gravity Cast from Bamberg in Franconia, Germany. That's going to be pretty awesome. And a special shout-out our good friends at DBA. Uh, they're celebrating their 20th year anniversary on Sunday, October 19th. Go to DBA in the East Village. You know, we lost our good friend Ray Dieter and... And his other partner, uh, Dennis, also died this year. So they're still going strong. But go support DBA if you're in New York City, Sunday, October 19th, the 20th anniversary. In closing, I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com who've helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to Brendan, Basil, Kevin, Tony, and Justin for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Maggie Side and Justin Kennedy. And our engineer tonight, Joe Galarraga, Blast from the Past. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah. Woo! listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.